So if you want to make a college student freak out, roundabouts their junior year, ask them what they're going to do with their life once they graduate school. Or maybe, maybe you've encountered this. There's a huge decision you need to make, and you just don't know what the decision is supposed to be. And you agonize, and you wish, you wish that God would just write it in the sky, right? I mean, we've seen these, these planes before that sky right, or maybe the ones that pull the big banner behind them. Maybe God would give you the answer that way. This is what you're supposed to do. Over the summer, we've been talking about a lot of different types of prayers. And we've said that the Psalms for us are like um, a personal trainer at the gym. It's like even a workout machine. It's going to make you use muscles in ways that need to be strengthened. It's going to force you into exercises that are not the typical way that you move, right? Everybody is potentially, I say everybody, let's pretend like everybody has been to a gym or worked with a trainer or worked with a workout machine or whatever. Why are you laughing at me? I'll have you know I paid a fat tax for three years. Sorry, it was a gym membership. They didn't call it a fat tax. I called it a fat tax because I wouldn't go to the gym that I was paying for. Anyway, we resolved that. I didn't go anymore. Um, You've all experienced movement in a way that you realize causes you to be strengthened, right? So some of the psalms that we've talked about are psalms of meditation, getting God's word into us. Psalms of um, confession and repentance, where we are coming before the Lord and we are um, declaring um, that we have sinned. And against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. We've looked at um, celebratory, psalms of praise. We've looked at psalms of lament. What do you do when life just brings sadness and all you can do is just barely get through the words to utter. This last group of psalms that we're looking at this summer are psalms of petition, right? These are psalms that um, ask God for something. This is when Jesus was teaching us Um, how to pray in the disciples' prayer um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We're now asking for God's will, for God's future to be brought into our present. Last week, we talked about praying through our fears, What does it look like when there is injustice? What does it look like when there is unknown? How do we bring our fears before the Lord and and bring our hearts to him? How do the Psalms help us with that? This week, I want to look at a prayer for guidance. Like I said, all of us have experienced this. 
All of us have experienced in some way, in some level, the need for guidance and the need to, to feel like we're in God's will, we're doing God's will, we're actually um, obeying God. So I want to look this morning at Psalm 25. You'll find it in your program or turn there in the Bible if you have one with you. Stand if you would and let's hear God's word. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Beloved, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, would you still our minds and quiet our hearts? This day, you desire to meet with us. And we're glad. Because, Father, no one has loved us like you have. No one has sought us like you have. No one has redeemed us or forgiven us like you have. And so, meet with us. Be with us. Speak to us, we pray. Forgive the one who preaches his sins, for they are many. Our desire this day is that we would see Jesus and him only. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Be seated. Okay. Four building blocks. None of it works without the other building blocks, so let's, let's see how they all fit together. How must we receive God's guidance? 
we see in this psalm four ways. The first way is from the truth of the word of God. The second way is from our position of need, right? We have to need God's guidance. We have to know that we need God's guidance. Third, from confidence in the providence of God, confidence in the way that God leads, the way that God unfolds his will in the world, and then fourth and finally, from our comfort in God's presence, okay? That's how I kind of want to attack um, this psalm this morning. Um, so how do, we, how do we seek God's guidance? Let's look at what David says. I want you to look at, so there's kind of two themes going on in the psalm. One of them is the theme of uh, David's enemies um, overtaking him. And we addressed that some in Psalm 28 last week. I was talking to one of y'all uh, before worship. I think it was Paul. And he was asking me, how are you going to go at this psalm? Because there's a lot of ways you could go. Um, I'm going to leave the my enemies are going to overtake me part to some other psalms that we've commented on already. And I want to look at these kind of four sections in the psalm where David is asking for the Lord's guidance, okay? The first way we see this is in verses 4 through 5, and this is where we have to be grounded in the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Word of God. Look at what David says in verses 4 and 5. He says, "'Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths.'" Lead me in your truth and teach me. Lead me in your truth and teach me. So here's the first building block that I want you to understand. So when you hear this text, when you hear this idea of make me to know something, some of you may go back to a classroom. Some of you may think about the last time you were in school or maybe the last time that you were uh, being trained for a new job or a new task and there was going to be a test at the end where it was all about knowledge. If I could just get the knowledge in long enough to answer the questions correctly on the test and get it out on the test and maybe take a nap, we will be good, okay? This is, uh, this, this is your product of your environment. This is what a lot of times teaching is in the 21st century, right? It's, it's knowledge in and a brain dump out on some sort of test. But what is David talking about here when he says, teach me? your ways. Make me to know your ways. Lead me in your truth and teach me. One of the things, and so I'm going to, this is a little bit of inside baseball. So if you, um, if you didn't grow up in a, in a Presbyterian tradition or you're kind of new to Presbyterian churches, um, first of all, welcome. Um, secondly, um, one of the things that you might pick up is that um, the, the Scottish tradition of Presbyterianism is very, very serious about doctrine. Um, in fact, uh, you can probably go back in the history of the church and realize that clans sometimes went to war over um, how some certain doctrine should be applied. We're not advocating for war. I'm just giving you a quick history. Um, you might think that what David is talking about here is Oh, if I just get my systems of doctrine put together, packaged up correctly, tied up neatly with a bow, that this is what fixes my life. First of all, that's not true. Um, because I've yet to encounter a system of doctrine that packages neatly. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I've paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time studying the Bible over the years to be able to come up with this answer. 
if you want a system that fits together neatly, um, the Bible's not for you. I'm not saying it contradicts itself. I'm saying that sometimes things just don't fit. We have to take them on faith. And mystery is okay, right? So to say that if I just get my doctrine right, it fixes my life is not true. Now, it's no less than get good doctrine, right? Good doctrine teaches us about who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, who the Spirit is, who the church is, how it all fits together in the world, okay? Those are all good things. I want you to do those things. But if you think that that's what David is saying here, you're going to miss something. Because when David thinks about... um, When David thinks about taking your truth and teaching me, it's no less than a request for sound doctrine. It's not simply that either, though. David is asking God to instruct him in big picture terms for his will for humanity. Okay? Big picture terms. This is why we see in verse 4, David looking to find God's ways and paths. Um, What does this mean then? This means dwelling deeply in Scripture and and not, and hear me too, when I say dwell deeply in Scripture, okay, it is a good thing to memorize the Bible. I think that's fantastic. It is a good thing to have your favorite texts of Scripture taped up in places in your house. This is fantastic. You should have copies of the Bible um, and, and places that you go to and verses that you dwell and meditate on, right? Okay, when, when Jen was in the hospital pregnant with Nate, all I could do was pray part of Psalm 119 over and over and over again. God, you are good and do what is good. Teach me your statutes. Okay? Now, that was a time of crisis in our life. But you can't just go to the comforting parts of Scripture. You have to go to the challenging parts, too. You can't just go to the parts that affirm you. You have to go to the parts that aggravate you, that mess with you, where God goes in and rattles your cage, where God comes in and shakes you a little bit. And admittedly, we don't like that, do we? We don't like to be shaken and messed with. But this is what God does, right? He takes us to the places that we wouldn't necessarily go to on our own to challenge us and to conform us and to shape us and to change us into the image of Jesus. And friends, you're not there yet, but he wants to take you there. But in order to go there, you have to go to hard places, You have to allow yourself to be confronted. You actually have to admit that maybe there are things that you have held on to and believed for your entire life that don't, in fact, line up with the Scriptures. And what do you do then? You ask God to change you, you see. We have to go to the comforting parts and the challenging parts, not the the proof texts that justify why I'm right and others are wrong, but maybe sometimes the proof texts that challenge where I'm wrong and God is right. How's that for your quiet time? I don't like to do that. I like to go. I like to read a favorite psalm or something that will get me through my day, my little spiritual multivitamin. And yet, 
And yet, what David's talking about here is not taking a spiritual multivitamin. He's actually saying that you would take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the Spirit would come in and do surgery. Not because he's weaponizing the Word, but because he's using the Word to change you. So when David says, teach me, bring me, it's he's looking for the heart of God. He's looking for the heart of God through his holy, revealed, inspired word and seeing what God's heart is for the world, for the sinner, for the marginalized, for the destitute, for the downtrodden, for justice, for mercy, for culture, for the world, for the church. It is a life that has been shaped by Scripture, not a life with Scripture inserted in here and there. Do you see the difference? So when you're thinking about getting God's guidance, the first thing that you've got to do is, are you getting to God's heart? Do you actually know the God that you're praying to? Do you know what his heart is for the world? Because at the end of the day, what you really want is not for God to bend his will to yours, but for God to shape you to him. David is looking for this. And look also at this. This is not something that happens only when a specific decision needs to be made, right? Um, And I've admitted this to you before. Um, I was not the best studier in school. There may have been mornings um, based on a very deficient understanding of the gospel when I was coming into a test that I would uh, repray the sinner's prayer in my heart just to make sure that Jesus and I were right. That's not what this is. This is a life of devotion to God. Our unwillingness to move unless we have confidence that it is us moving in the direction that God is going. David says, you are the God of my salvation, verse 5. For you, I wait all the day long. This This is the definition of biblical wisdom. It's knowing how to distinguish not only between right and wrong, but also good and wise from evil and foolish. Right? When you're thinking about making a good decision, when you're thinking about making a decision, Many of us think, am I going to make the right decision or the wrong decision? But what if the question reframed is not, am I making the right or wrong decision? Am I making a wise decision? Am I making a decision that's going to advance the purposes of God in the world and in my own life? Or am I going to make a decision that really is going to be a foolish one? I know I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. Um, for those of you who've purchased furniture that requires some assembly, um, you know the type of furniture. Um, in the picture, it's three-dimensional, and when it shows up on your doorstep, it's in a very flat box. Um, you know the difference from just going at it any old way that looks right only to check on the directions Um, midway through the process and find out there were some crucial um, structural, architectural steps you missed way early on in the beginning. 
See, it's not just getting into God's word um, when it feels like we're stuck. It's getting in God's word and understanding God's heart for the world and God's heart for us. Okay, that's the first thing, a, a life that's been shaped by the truth of the word of God. Here's the second thing I want you to see, and it's uh, the position of need, our position of need. Look at what David says in verses 8 through 9. He says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Okay, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Um, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So... <clears throat> This is more than David just saying, all of us are sinners and God instructs sinners, okay? This is more than David saying that. What David is saying here is, uh, and I'm not going to get into all the the technicalities of it, but but what David is saying is that um, it is only those who know that they are sinners Um, that are receiving guidance from God, right? When you know that you are needy, you are are willing to receive uh, that which you truly need. When you know you don't have the answers, you are going to seek out um, the one who does have the answers. And so um, one of the things that David is saying here is that um, it is only those who know that they are sinners that are receiving guidance from God. I want you to look again at verse 9. Okay, verse 9 says, he leads the humble in what is right. He leads the humble in what is right. Only those that have bowed their knee, that have bowed their heart low, um, recognized their great need, that they were um, lost and that they were dead and that they were, um, they were separated from God. And it was only through receiving the gracious gift of Jesus, the, the work that he has done, the sacrifice that he has paid, the atonement that he has purchased by his life on the cross. It is only those people that have bowed low, that have seen their need, that have recognized their lack of any merit at all to bring. It is only those people that can receive guidance from God. Look, if you're proud, if you're puffed up, if you're sure of yourself, if you're confident that you have it all together and know where you are going, you're the one who's not going to stop for directions. You're, um, or if we're thinking in, in more um, contemporary um, illustrations, when your um, GPS is telling you turn right right now and you don't and you say, I know a better way, you're the one that gets stuck in three hours of rush hour traffic in Dallas because your GPS knew more than you did. Anybody done this before? Anybody? Me? Okay. Well, personal confession there. I know more than Siri. Um, to do this, um, to receive God's wisdom from a position of need, it, it's more than just um, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in, a, in great need of God, my Savior. There's one more thing I want you to see, too. Um, there is a, a healthy, and, and please understand, when you go back and listen to this recording, I said healthy. A healthy mistrust of our own wisdom. A healthy mistrust of our own wisdom. 
Those who are humble are not going to immediately shoot from the hip and act on gut instinct, but will take time, reflect, pray, and be willing to give consideration to alternative courses of action. They are leaving room for God to speak by his spirit, word, and community in their actions. Okay? Now, I know in a world of, of, of self-affirmation, for me to say, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, but doggone it, people still like you. It's not popular to say you should distrust, you should mistrust your own wisdom, but you should. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is sick and deceitful beyond all measure. Who can understand it? It's possible, and I just want to lay this out there. It is possible that your own wisdom is actually seeking to take you off course rather than keeping you on course. And I know that's not popular, right? But what if? What if I should actually be skeptical of my gut instinct? What if I should be apprehensive when I feel like I immediately know the answer with no prayer, with no reflection, with no... What is it? What does that mean? There's another level, too, that I want you to, to see. David may also be saying that we are not just guided because we know that we are sinners in general, but even to the point that we know our own hearts and we know the particular sins and vices that we are predisposed to, right? You all know your pet foibles, Okay, let's use an example. Let's say you struggle with um, uh, you struggle with anger, right? And so you've got a friend who has said something uh, they've they've chosen their words poorly. Okay, and you're thinking about what should I do in the situation? I know I should strongly rebuke them for choosing their words inappropriately. Now that may be needed. Maybe. It may also be that you're just an angry person and you want an excuse to cloak your anger in, in uh, like righteous indignation. Well, Jesus turned tables over. You see what I'm saying? When you're predisposed to certain um, heart idols, when you're predisposed to certain characteristics, um, your heart can mislead you. Now, how many of you um, remember when you learned how to drive the important lesson of checking your blind spots? Anybody? Okay. For those of you that um, have not experienced this yet, maybe you're younger and um, you're just kind of in the back, just having your, your own grand old time. Let me tell you what a blind spot is. A blind spot is where even though you've checked all your mirrors and they're clear, there's still a car there, but you can't see them because they're in a spot where it doesn't show up in your mirrors. All of us have blind spots in our own hearts. All of us have the stuff that we can't necessarily see or even know are there, but they're there. 
okay? When we're blind to our own tendencies, when we're blind to our own vices, when our own bents, or all of these things um, can cause our attempts to, to live wisely, to run aground, okay? If you're not aware that ultimately you're a selfish person and you, you're given an opportunity to advance yourself, you go, well, I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to take that opportunity. Okay, is it going to advance the kingdom or is it going to advance you? Well, you see what I'm saying? Give me one of these. Okay, a few of you. Very good. One of the vices that I've always struggled with is a desire for approval. And so I fall into this trap of needing to be needed. Um, And it wasn't until... Uh, college when a, a faithful older brother um, sat down and was willing to have that challenging conversation with me about needing to be needed, needing other people to think that I was important, and needing other people to think that I was um, worthwhile and, and important to have around. Um, it was a blind spot for me. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's, it's completely done away with in my own life, but it is, um, it is something that I'm at least aware of now so that when I'm um, praying about whether or not I should do something, now part of wisdom, part of applying of, of how am I receiving the guidance from God is, okay, am I, am I doing this because out of a genuine love to serve uh, the people of God, to serve the church, to serve the kingdom, or is this feeding into my need to be needed? Am I feeling really lonely right now? Am I feeling really invisible right now? Am I feeling really insignificant right now? And, and, and so am I going to skew this decision to feed into that need rather than taking that need to Jesus first? Does that make sense? Perhaps if one of your vices is a need to be noticed, and so you do things that's going to draw attention to how you look or what you do so that people will say, uh, see you and say flattering things about you. Maybe uh, you need uh, people to see your perfect family or well-kept home or trips or hobbies. And so you're going to make decisions that give those opportunities uh, a place of prominence in your life. Does that make sense? And so if you don't know, it's like, I'm not saying that those things are bad. Like, I'm not saying being needed is bad. I'm not saying that um, trips or hobbies or families or homes or anything else is bad. I'm saying that if you're not aware of what's driving that need, it's going to skew. It's going to be like a bent rudder on a ship. It's, gonna, it's never going tr- to ride true because you've got something else that's steering it without your knowledge. So the second thing I want you to see is there is a, um, that we have a position of need. Do you know what yours is? Do you know, like, I'm not, I'm not looking for a list. Like, I don't need an alphabetized list here. But do you know your big ones? Do you know the big areas that you struggle in that that's going to potentially skew how you make decisions, how you approach God for guidance, how you long for him to direct you and steer you in your life? Okay, so first block, knowledge of God's truth, right? We've got to be grounded in the scriptures, not just in the time of crisis, but during our whole life. Secondly, do we know our own need? Do we know the things that are steering the ship? Third thing, uh, again, we're going to jump down a little bit from our confidence in God's providence. I want you to look at verses 10 through 12. David says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. 
Uh, and David actually interrupts himself and says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And he goes on. And he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Basically, what he's saying here is that the circumstances of life to which God brings us, um, or the, God is the one that's directing either the circumstances that he brings us to or the actions that he calls us to. And, and this is not... This is not fatalism, all right? I know I've said this one before too, but fatalism, to tell you what fatalism is, is the person that falls down a flight of 50 steps, gets up, brushes himself off, and says, wow, glad that's over with, right? That's fatalism. That's the, the world is a machine, and I'm stuck in the machine, and whatever happens, happens, okay? That's not what we're saying this is. We're saying that God works out everything that he has uh, promised, everything that he has purposed through the ordinary circumstances of our life, okay? That means that whatever our life has for us, wherever God does in his good providence and grace is the unfolding of God's loving and faithful plans for us. And I know what you're going to say next That's cool when life gives you roses and sunshine. What happens when life throws curveballs? What happens when there's illness? What happens when there's death? What happens when there's addiction? What happens when there's poverty? What happens when there's injustice? And this is where I said earlier that the system doesn't create a neat box. I'm not trying to hand you a neat box. The answer is, I trust the heart of God, that when you take the, 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 the lens and zoom all the way out, not only over the world, but, all, but throughout history, that all things are working together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, even the stuff that doesn't make sense. And that's where we're going to go into Ecclesiastes, just, just so we're clear. I know I'm not answering the question fully right now. You must understand, you must believe, know deep down that all that God is doing, revealing, leading, guiding, directing, all of that is out of a heart of a God who loves, not a God who deals in malice. Now, how does this help us when it comes to seeking guidance from God? First of all, very practically, it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off, right? Many of us, myself included, have felt the paralysis of decision-making because we're afraid we're going to make what? The wrong decision. Or perhaps you've had something happen to you that ranges from inconvenient on the one hand to tragic on the other. And so you put the fault or the blame squarely on you and you begin the game of if only, right? If only I had done this, if only I had done that, you begin replaying every single second that led up to whatever that thing was and you say, if only I had done this, this wouldn't have happened. 
Can I tell you something? You're not God. You don't need the weight of that on your shoulders. The world is not fatalistically running on, the, on its own, but neither are you able to subvert or change the heart or the will of God and change what his ultimate purposes and plans are. That includes the hard stuff. But it does mean fully and finally that we can rest in the heart of God, right? We can rest in the fact that It is not up to me to make the right or wrong decision. Whatever decision is made is ultimately the one that God had for me. Anybody's head exploding yet? Anybody? Anybody? When we're afraid that the weight of the rightness or the wrongness of the decision rests squarely on us, it can lead us to make poor choices. And I want you to see verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. God is laying out our path for us, both the the path of blessing and the path of hardship. And he's not malicious. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. And so we can rest and we can take confidence in that. What are we responsible to do? Love God. Love the things that God says is lovely. Keep, as so, insofar as we can, a clear conscience before him. Verse 11, again, pardon my guilt for it is great. Lead a life of obedience and depend on grace. Here's the fourth building block, and then we'll be done. This one's a shorter one. Fourth building block is that we seek guidance from God from the comfort that we derive from being in God's presence. Here's the last principle, verse 14 and 15. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Okay, so this word friendship, you should see a lot of, if you've got a a hard copy Bible in front of you, you should see a lot of asterisks and footnotes and everything else around this word. It's a Hebrew word that doesn't translate easily. Okay, the ESV has chosen to translate it as friendship. It can mean many things, but friendship is the one that kind of conveys that that we are, there's delight. There's mutual delight in God's presence. His counsel. Uh, The NIV renders it as um, his counsel. It's not like his... uh, um, it's his secret counsel. It's, 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 it's thoughts shared among deep, intimate friends. Okay, that's why the ESV renders it out as, um, as friendship. And then look what David says. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. This doesn't just mean that David believes in God, but rather what it means is that David is seeking God's glory, God's presence, God's grace. He's seeking the fellowship of God. 
It is the difference, uh, for David, is the, it is the difference of knowing about God versus knowing God, right? And so David is saying that my eyes are ever up. My gaze is ever upon you. Our knowing the heart of God comes from dwelling in God's presence. Um, asking, answering the question of what is God's will is not trying to read God's mind, but rather by God giving us his mind. Prayer, time in the word, time with God's people. This is what gives us God's guidance. Now, now some of you I know are still sitting here, David, saying, David, I want the list. Give me the, the take home. Give me the takeaway. Here are the ways that we know we're doing the will of God, the ways that we know that we're doing God's will and that we're going to make the right decisions. If you follow steps A, B, C, and D, you will be assured of life and happiness and and whatever. And here's the catch. The psalm doesn't really tell us how we're going to get guided, but rather it tells us the type of person that will get guided. Do you hear that? The psalm doesn't really tell you how you're going to get guided. It tells you the characteristics of the type of person who will receive God's guidance. If we have a mind that is filled with God's word, a heart that knows its own flaws, a heart that is independence upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, a life that seeks to live obediently to God's word and spirit, and a soul that is at peace, and a life of prayer where God's presence regularly provides comfort and illumination, beloved, we have a better chance of walking in wisdom. But that's hard for us because we want practical, specific, repeatable, measurable things. But God's not necessarily intent on giving us answers. Answers may come, but they come in in conjunction with relationship with him. The Apostle Paul would later write to the churches um, in Ephesus, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul would write this. He would say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, and he has purposed for each of us things that will ultimately bring him the greatest and most profound glory. God sought you, and God saved you. God has made you and I his inheritance, his treasure, his delight. And he sent Christ Jesus to save you from your sins so that you could walk in this path of life. We just sang this earlier, to wash away the crimson stain. Grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain. In much the best life faileth. How do you know that you're walking in God's will? Well, friends, are you walking in line with the scriptures? Are you walking in step with the Spirit? Are you, are you checking your own blind spots in your heart against people who know you and love you and can have hard conversations and ask hard questions of you? 
Are you delighting in God's comfort and in God's presence? And then are you going with the Spirit as He leads you and directs you? Because friends, listen, God has not just saved you from your sin. He saved you for good works. Your entire life is His workmanship. And whether the decisions and choices of your life have led to tragedy or triumph, if you are still drawing breath, there is still yet time to seek the word of God, to know where the idols of your heart are and your blind spots, to trust the providence of God, and to draw comfort and safety and security in the presence of God. But in order for that to happen, God has to be able to mess with you. And not just comfort you, but challenge you. And it may be that the decision that you're resisting or the decision that you're, um, that you're fighting hard against making is not because you don't know whether it's right or wrong, but because we're drawn to decisions that will bring us to comfort and ease and security. And the decision that's right is the decision that's going to have God mess with you. But we trust him. We're his workmanship. He sent Jesus, and so we can rest in him.